You are listening to Lighthearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. My name is Jeremy Dontremont. Welcome. My co-host today is Cindy Johnson, award-winning volunteer and secretary of Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses. Hi, Cindy. Hi, Jeremy. Today is November 13th, 2022, and this is episode 199 of Lighthearted. Thanks for being with me once again, Cindy, and congratulations on being voted Secretary of Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses. Well, thank you. You know, uh, once the operations manager position no longer existed due to COVID, I was eligible to be on our chapter leadership committee. Yep. So I was voted in, as you know, <laughs> I was voted in as a member at large in November of 2020. And I was just really glad that I could still have an active role in our organization, even though I, even though I wasn't an employee anymore, I could, I was still able to have, have a role. So when I found out recently that the secretary position was open, I, I went for it. Yeah. Well, it's a dirty job, but somebody's going to do it. <laughs> I'm happy to do it. <laughs> yeah. I've been doing it for a little while. Passing yeah, the torch. Passing the torch. Passing the, <laughs> passing the secretary torch. Yeah. No, it is really an important uh, position. Position. Well, uh, I'll anybody take it. In, as anybody knows in any, any nonprofit organization. So congratulations on that. Thank you. So in a minute, we're going to listen to an interview I did recently with the son and daughter of a man who was a Coast Guard lighthouse keeper in New England in the 1960s. And let's go ahead and get right into the introduction for the interview, Cindy. Sure, Jeremy. Armand Hood was born in Fall River, Massachusetts in 1927. He served in the U.S. Navy on the USS Gage and took part in the Battle of Iwo Jima, receiving a World War II Victory Medal, American Theater Ribbon, an Asiatic Pacific Area Ribbon with Star, and various other medals. Armand Hood continued in the Coast Guard after World War II and served at several shore stations and on several vessels, including the Handkerchief Shoal Lightship, before coming to Portland Head Light Station in Cape Elizabeth, Maine in 1962. He was at Portland Head from March 1963 to October 1965, and then served as keeper at Anasquam Light Station in Gloucester, Massachusetts from October 1965 to November 1967. His later Coast Guard experience included more time on light ships and at stations on Cape Cod. Armand Hood retired from the Coast Guard in 1978, and he died in August 2000 in Pompano Beach, Florida. I recently had the opportunity to meet with Janice Reynolds and Ed Hood, who are children of Armand Hood. We did the interview in a study room at the Portsmouth Public Library. Cindy, you might remember that we recorded some of the early podcast episodes in the study rooms at the library. Remember, remember <laughs> yes, that? I do. <laughs> of mm-hmm. course. Way back in the beginning of Lighthearted. Yeah. Well, it was mm-hmm. it was cool to be back. It's actually uh, nice and nice and quiet. Uh, right. You don't worry yes. about neighbors with leaf blowers or anything like that. <laughs> right. It was a pleasure talking with Janice and Ed about their father's career and the family's time at two of my favorite light stations, Portland Head and Anasquam. So let's listen to my conversation with Janice Reynolds and Ed Hood now. I am joined today uh, by Janice Reynolds and Ed Hood, who are the children of a uh, man who was a Coast Guard lighthouse keeper, Armand Hood. And uh, we're going to talk about your uh, about his career a bit and about your childhood at lighthouses and so forth. And uh, I appreciate you so much being with me today. Thank you, Janice and Ed. Thank you for having us yeah, here, Jeremy. Thank you. Before we get into your experiences, why don't we talk a little bit about your father's career? First of all, before he was assigned to lighthouses or anything like that, he was, do I have this right? He was in the Navy during World War II. He was born in 1927, so he must have been really young. Well, uh-huh. actually, um, when the war started, he was like 15 and he snuck into the Navy. Aha. He had a sister sign it, and then the, his sister was so worried about her that she went and told when he was in boot camp and they, and they took him out. But as soon as he turned 17, mm-hmm. um, and I think 45, he went right back in. Okay. I thought it might be something along those lines. But he ended up being uh, highly decorated with various medals and so forth. Yes, he um, originally, when he went into the, um, they sent him to landing craft school. Mm-hmm. And he was in the South Pacific driving the landing craft on um, Iwo Jima and in the South Pacific in the, the last battles of the war. Right. Okay. 
Was that something he talked about much with you, about his experiences? Actually, no. Um, he didn't talk any, if, you know a lot of veterans from World War II, they didn't, they, yes. you know, they didn't talk much at all. Um, once in a while, we, if he's with my uncles who were in the war, and they had a few beers or whatever, and they kind of mellowed out, they would converse a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, he did mention, I guess, that on Think Iwo Jima, that he was stranded there for like a week. And he was, you know, talking about, you know, the Japanese, of course, and, you know, the bonsai charges. And, wow. Yeah, but he didn't talk really much about it at all. Yeah. As you said, I think that's pretty pretty typical of yes. a, a lot of them. Yes. Uh, tremendous things that they did, but also not the easiest things to talk about, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. So after the war, he joined the Coast Guard, right? But can you explain that? Was there a, a, a gap in service there between uh, Navy and Coast Guard? How did I, that work? After he got out of, of World War II ended, um, he did a, a four-year um, hitch in the U.S. Coast Guard. Mm-hmm. That's when he was on the handkerchief light ship in, okay. in, in Woods Hole. And um, and then when he got out, he, he went into civilian life. And, and after 10 years of working in civilian life, it wasn't going so well, so to speak. So he said, you know, he had a chance. And he said, hey, we'll take you back in the Coast Guard. So um, he went back. And at that time, he was only he was, he was a cook in the Coast Guard. Okay. And um, he first station was Hampton Beach. In 1959, he went to Hampton Beach Lifeboat Station. New Hampshire. Yeah, New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. And then from there, he went to um, uh, New Bedford. They had Coast Guard cutters, the big white ones, and he, and he did a year or so or two years there. Mm-hmm. And then he volunteered. He was on John F. Kennedy's presidential security patrol in Hyannis. Oh, wow. He was like uh, the cook for the Coast Guard people, and then he would go out with them on the boats to, hmm. at the escort, you know, John F. Kennedy and his, and his family when they would go out. Yeah. And that's from there is when he became the... Um, like a, a relief keeper for Cape Nettick Lighthouse. And then we went right after that, after a couple of months there, that's when he went to Portland Head mm-hmm. as the station keeper there. Mm-hmm. Should I go on from that point? No, that's okay. <laughs> okay. We'll, we'll, we'll get back to that. We'll pick, pick it up there yeah, shortly. On and on and on. But I want to back up a little bit first sure. before we go up to that, that point. But uh, during his first stint in the Coast Guard, you mentioned uh, he was for a while on the Handkerchief Shoal lightships off Cape Cod. Yes. And he, he later, much later in his career, he ended up back on light ships for a period. Yes. Right? Um, yes, he went on, he was on three. Mm-hmm. He, um, he went on, he was on uh, the Nantucket light ship, yeah. um, the relief light ship, which would release different other light ships for a month at a time. Would I be correct in, in guessing that he kind of enjoyed his, his time on the light ship the first time around, that he had some say in going back on light ships later on? Well, he talked about the handkerchief. Um, and we had an old picture somewhere, and I, and I can't find it, of him standing at the railing, which was really in a, back in the 40s, you know, mm-hmm. seeing my dad young. And uh, yeah, he liked, even when he was on the Nantucket and the Relief, he did, because when he was on those ships, he was the executive officer. Mm-hmm. And if you, if you understand how light ships work, the, the captain of the light ship has a crew for two weeks. Mm-hmm. And then they go ashore, and then the executive officer, which is my father, becomes like the captain for two weeks. And okay. Goes, and they just alternate back and forth. Yeah. So he enjoyed, he enjoyed, you know, being yeah. on the light ships um, after, you know, the first. He was only on for a while. I think he talked about on the handkerchief, and he went up on a, a buoy tender where they, they tend the buoys after mm-hmm. that, before he went to uh, cook school. Yeah. I know a lot of ex-light ship sailors uh, didn't necessarily, weren't all that thrilled with a lot of it, um, a lot of aspects of that. Well, I think he basically said, you know, you have to be able to entertain yourself because you're out there for two weeks and you're just sitting in one spot. Right. And it's not like, you know, you're traveling somewhere or so, yeah. Yeah, it's been described as, of course, endless hours of boredom interrupted by minutes of sheer moments of sheer yeah. terror. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, that's true. And hurricanes, and, and some a ship collided with it, or, yes. which yes. happened certainly. Yeah. Anything else? Any uh, incidents or anything you remember from hearing about his uh, lightship experience? Just when he would talk about the big storms and how the ship almost seemed like it was going to tip over and then mm-hmm. right itself. Um, probably like many. It, it was a job. He was in the service. I don't think he came home and had chosen to do many things. It was just what he did. Yeah. Know, it was just part of what he did. Yeah. Yeah, I understand that. I think that was often the case with, with people like, like him. He um, served, at, as you said, at, at number of different uh, capacities in the Coast Guard until he ended up first becoming a relief keeper at the Cape Nettick Lighthouse, which for a few months yeah. when, where I did that week with him when I was on a school vacation when I was a teenager. Okay. And um, it was different because the first time I was actually really away from home. Yeah. And um, 
what you talked about on the license Waterman, whatever, because you know, you're in the uh, early 60s, you know, you got two TV channels, yeah. it's February, and yeah. you had a blizzard, and you know, it wasn't much to do, so mm-hmm. we ended up just playing cribbage and playing cards and talking, I guess, for a little bonding, I guess you could say, yeah, for a week, yeah. So for anybody who doesn't know, I think most a lot of our listeners who are lighthouse buffs know about the Cape Netic light, which is better known to people as the Nubble light uh, in York, Maine, one of the most visited and photographed lighthouses in the world, I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you stayed with your dad when he was there, were you aware that it was such a popular place? Were there like looking across the at the park there in the town where you're seeing lots of tourists looking out at you? Yes, when I looked out, out the window, cars would pull up into the parking lot and then he would tell me at that time, I guess we had a, a tide where he said, you know, you can actually walk across uh-huh. at a super low tide and it was a super low tide. And, yeah. And then, of course, he would have to get the mail, and they had, which is like a Highline box, and he, and he would actually sit in the box <laughs> yeah. and go across. He would? He would, and go across to okay. the other side and get out. That is really interesting. To and then when he would come back, he'd say, watch for me, and then I would help him. I would pull the line, the pulley line, as he okay. was in the box to come yeah. back across. Mm-hmm. And I'm like... What if this snaps? What if this? <laughs> it's like it's water and rocks below. But yeah, that was that was the way. That is so interesting. I got to tell you a little background on that. First of all, this is early 1963. We're talking about at this point. Is yes, that correct? Yes. 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 Mm-hmm. Okay. February 63. I have been in touch with uh, a man who lives in Oregon now, whose father was a Coast Guard keeper at the Noble in the late 1950s, and he was the first one to put a basket there on the cable. And it was never intended for people at that time. It was intended for supplies or mail or whatever to go back and forth. I do know that over the course, over the next several years or so, that, that your, your dad was not the only one who rode in that basket, <laughs> for sure. There was famously a child of a keeper in 1967. The Winchesters, Ricky Winchester, was in the second grade, and they were sending him to school in the basket. And a picture was taken that made the front page of the Boston Globe and other pictures, uh, other papers. And he, they got in big trouble for that, and that was the end of that. I think he would have been the last person to go across in the basket. <laughs> but I'm really interested to hear that your dad actually did it. Well, like he said, there was they had a boat they could go across. Yeah, with, you know. And by the time you took the boat out of the boathouse, by the time yeah. you, he said, "I'm just getting in the basket <laughs> and going across." Yeah. Oh, that's that's great. There's still a basket there, but it's quite small. I don't think anybody could fit in it, even if you wanted to. Um, and it's run by like an infrared remote control now. And yeah. a friend of mine is the caretaker there, Matt Rosenberg. He loves that that gadget. So yeah. there is still a, a form of a basket there. So anything else about the, the nubble that, that comes to mind when you remember that? Well, just was different because I had never been on anything where something in the middle of the night and they had, a, I guess, a bell. It was their fog signal. And then I didn't realize it that <laughs> first time at two o'clock in the morning when this thing starts bong and waking me up. So moving along, uh, he then was assigned to Portland Head Light. He was a keeper at Nubble and Portland Head, which to, I think, and you know, I've been wrong before, but according to what I've seen in the lighthouse world, I think those are the two most visited lighthouses in the world, not just in Maine or in New England or in this country, but I think in the entire world. I mean, Portland Head with well over a million visitors a year, Nubble with probably half a million around there at least to the park, looking across the water at the lighthouse. There's a couple hundred feet of water in there, as you mentioned. But um, So that's interesting that he had a, a fairly short career as a lighthouse keeper, but he was at two of the most popular lighthouses in the world. Mm-hmm. So uh, so when the two of you moved to, to Portland Head with your dad, how, how many children were in the family at that time? There were three at the time. Okay. So Eddie was uh, 13, almost 13. I was almost seven, and then there was a little baby. Okay. And who's the yeah. baby? His Armand Jr. Actually. Oh, okay. So Armand Jr. actually came came later. Usually that would be the first one. But. Uh, well, actually, Armand Jr. was named Armand Jr. because of the Cuban Missile Crisis. Uh, oh. My dad didn't think he was going to get back home. Oh, wow. And so asked my mother to name the baby after him. Oh, wow. That's interesting. That's how, how were, things were at those times. Yeah, yeah those were... It, it was a... Those were tense times. Tense times. Tense, very tense times. Yeah, I remember yeah. I remember them well. I mm-hmm. was like in first or second grade around that time. Okay, so uh, what were your impressions of Portland Headlight when you first uh, moved in there? It was a duplex keeper's house, right? Yes, yes. It was another family. I can't even remember the family there at the time that we moved in. 
But, um, you know, we grew up in Fall River, Massachusetts, in third floor tenement, and here we are in this beautiful space with a lot of snow. Mm-hmm. But the snow, I remember the cliffs. My mother didn't go out, I think, for two or three days. She was afraid to go out. I don't know. She let us out, but she was afraid to go out. Um, hmm. It was just the, the tower, the light driving in that night, just seeing that big, big light. Big, I think with being my mother being brought up in the city all her life, mm-hmm. being, and then going to that, it's, it's culture shock. It's awesome. It's awesome. I mean, you know, when you, you know, the waves and, and the visibility and, the, you know, and just, you know, in the cliffs and the rocks. And yeah. so she was a little afraid at first. Yeah, I can see it could be kind of overwhelming if you're not used to anything like that. Yeah. It's a pretty spectacular place. It is, and for me as a, as a kid, as a military kid, um, I was just glad to be with my dad. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to say goodbye to my dad as he went off to the stations every week. He was there. And that was probably the best thing that I remember going there. Yeah. Was, was that part of it. Sure. Yeah, that makes it was, sense. It was a gorgeous place. Yeah. So he was the officer in charge, right? Mm-hmm. Coast Guard. Mm-hmm. And there was uh, another family who basically, uh, not I know the title was an assistant keeper, but that's pretty much what the other. They were. Right, right. Yeah. Was it just the two men assigned at that time, or was there yes, just two men, the two? Yeah. 12 hours on, 12 hours off, mm-hmm. two days off a month. Yeah. What do you remember about the, the house? Was it a nice house to live in? Yes, I think it was. The thing was there was only one bathroom, and it was on the second floor. For both families? No, no, no. no, no, for, no. For, the for, house was divided. Oh, it was a completely divided. Completely yeah. divided. Exact same opposite on either side. Right, yep. Um, just one on the southern side, one on the northern side. One bathroom upstairs. Four bedrooms. Yeah, four bedrooms. And mm-hmm. um, there was like a, a living room downstairs, the kitchen, and dining like the dining room. room. It was bigger than our house oh, yes. in Fall River, so we thought it was, it was great. Yeah. yeah, it was pretty like, wow, now upstairs and porch area and the front yeah it was it was big different yeah now there's a lot of land around there so it's within fort williams it's now uh, fort williams park and there's expanses of grass and everything i'm wondering when you were kids there did you play in those areas or of course there were tourists around too Uh uh-oh am i bringing something (laughs) something embarrassing up we um we were just talking about this we because of the tourist, yeah. my dad was very conscious of the tourist. He mm-hmm. wanted to have a, them to have a good experience. Mm-hmm. So we really couldn't play much while they were around. Now we had, at the time, because you had to sign in when you came in the gate, mm-hmm. about 65,000 tourists a year. Mm-hmm. And that was in the 70s, uh, 60s when people weren't really traveling much. But we, we Eddie and I, the whole Fort Williams was our own little playground. They had closed the fort right before that. The last couple of families moved away a couple of months after that. Mm-hmm. So we just roamed the fort. We just did. That was our playground. Well, we wanted to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Must be nice. I'm all, I always feel really lucky when I visit there and there's not that many people around because I've been there when it was like elbow to elbow people. Especially in the the fall when a lot of the cruise ships come into mm-hmm. uh, come into Portland and they bus people from the cruise ships to Portland Headlight, I've been there when there are at least fifteen bus loads of people oh. there. Yeah, so it gets incredibly crowded. When we were there on a weekend in the summertime. You might get one bus coming a day. Mm-hmm. At one time we had five. That was that was a big deal for us. Yeah. But the um, the fort would close at four. But Dad in the summertime thought, no, that's not really good for the tourists. So he had it stayed open till eight. Mm-hmm. We weren't excited about that because that meant we couldn't hang out and play in the yard. Okay. Yeah. Although we we did. So we, yeah, we had our bicycles. We'd ride through the fort. Yeah. And, and, you know, yeah, do what kids do. Did you do things like? Did you play baseball in the open oh, areas or other games yes. like? That? Oh yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, well, we just it was just us two, so yeah, we yeah, we our age baseball. difference, so you know, yeah. we would, you know, we or at least catch or something, play catch and something. And she was a good hitter, <laughs> <laughs> a little kid, so you know, we had a good time. And yeah. we had um, because it's so windy, mm-hmm. as if the between the yeah. what we call the whistle house and the towers, that little passage. Yes. Well, it's like a wind tunnel. We would take a big cardboard box, flatten it, and just fly let the wind Holy take God. us and fly and yeah, we would jump so, up in the air and in the air would put us back like four would, feet in yeah, the air wow just, so we, would, and we would just we would do that yeah, yeah it sounds like fun a lot. it was a lot and then there was a hill there was a hill we used to call it dead man's hill because we thought it was like tremendously big on one off one of the uh 
bunkers there. And yeah. uh, of course, we go back now with our first time we went with our kids and stuff, and they go, Where's Dead Man's Hill? We show them the hill, and they go, That's Dead Man's Hill. It's only like 15 feet. Yeah. <laughs> Is that um, towards the parking area now? Yes, as soon as um, you, you make the turn yeah. right before the gate, the hill on the left hand side as you're coming in. I believe we, I know the one you're take talking about. We cardboard box and sit on that and just slide down uh-huh. the grass. And in the wintertime, a little snow flying yeah. saucer. And we just, you know. What you see now is, is, still, is not. A lot of those fort buildings were still there right. at that right. time. They don't, it doesn't look anything like it right. did right. when we grew up. Yeah, right. almost all the, the fort buildings yeah. are gone now. There's just the a couple entrance of gate was further towards Cape Elizabeth. Oh, okay. It wasn't where it is now. You had oh. So you came in right where the old parade ground is. Okay. In a little pond there. So I think I know what you mean, yeah. That's where you came in. Yeah. I think there's still a, a, like a locked gate there or something. Yeah, and you can see the, where the, the stands were for the parade field. That's where you came into the Fort okay. Williams and come to the line. And it was locked, and we had keys. As kids, we had keys mm-hmm. that we could. Um, wow. And one time I forgot my key. I was probably <laughs> seven years old, and uh-huh. I just climbed the fence over the barbed wire. Mm-hmm. Climbed down, went home, told my mother I forgot my key. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She said, how'd you get in? I said, I, I climbed over the bar. <laughs> and she panicked. She panicked. But, <laughs> but even as kids, we felt a responsibility in two ways. One was to watch ourselves for fog, boats. We, we paid attention, even though we were little. And then we also felt the responsibility to the tourist, mm-hmm. that, there, that that was important, that mm-hmm. we, we were there, but it was more than just a family thing. That, yeah. So did you ever show people around yourselves? Did you do any of that, or was that? I was little. I did not. But they asked questions, and I'm sure we answered yeah, them. Yeah, they didn't ask. Um, yeah, it's, it's later on in life when I go back. And I, I always t- tell this one quick story to everybody. Is I went, first time I went there, I think I married with my wife, and I was going around with her, and I was telling everybody and explaining everything. And mm-hmm. after about five minutes of doing this, I turned around, and there were like 50 people behind me. Mm-hmm. And they were following us everywhere, and they started asking me questions. They thought I was a tour guide. Uh huh. You know, the tourists might ask us a question. Right. Like, can we go inside? So I'm wondering if there's anything else when you think about your time at Portland Head. And it was about two years. Is that is that right? Two you and a half years. Two and a half mm-hmm. years. Yeah. Uh, anything else that, that springs to mind, like uh, bad storms that might have happened when you were there? Uh, was there? It looks like maybe there was something like that. Yeah, we, we were laughing because we disagreed at how big the wave was, but there was a very bad storm. In, mm-hmm. um, I think it's in March of 65. My dad was out at the Whistle House doing his thing. Um, Ed was upstairs sleeping. My mom and I were going over some homework things, and we heard this huge crash, and the wave came in and knocked through the office where the passage goes from the house toward the tower. It's like a passageway. Mm-hmm. Um, came in and, because I, as a kid, I thought that was great fun. Not thinking that, one, where's my dad? Because right. he's not, well, he had been walking out, saw the wave and ran back in. And then the electrical, what, what's on the floor and the electrical, the water came in. and wow. But that was a pretty big... That was pretty big. And I know in, uh, years after that, it actually did smash into the Whistle House. Mm-hmm. I think one time the family had to be evacuated. But um, the storms, were, yeah, they were a lot of fun. It was just great. That was the only storm while we were there where the wave actually hit the hit building. The building. Uh-huh. Hit the building. It took the, the roof off the, the, um, the southern part of the Whistle House roof, the wall. My father was coming out, like Janice said, out of the Whistle House. He saw the wave ran back in. It was nighttime. Yeah, and then the wave hit. The big old wooden door that was on the passageway was just flattened straight out, about two feet of water between the in the whole passageway, the office to the lighthouse. Wow. Yeah, and um, it was so powerful that the door to the office wasn't knocked down, but the whole office was covered from the ceiling with mud, where it just pushed it underneath the door. The power of it, and just the whole thing was covered in mud. The whole office. Yeah. So, yeah, and I was, like I said, we were on the opposite side, my whole bed shook. That's when I, when something hit, and that's when I came down, Jan, Janice was up or whatever, and it was like, wow. Yeah, and yeah. Was, you know, my father's like, no, he's not, no, it's a, is it a rogue wave? Is it more coming? What should I do with my family? About his people he's responsible for who are living on that side? Yeah. You know, so it was, was kind of hectic. Yeah, yeah, it must have been really scary, but yeah. it turned out As a kid, okay. I thought it was great yeah. fun, but you know, I was yeah. about eight at that time. So, yeah. yeah, it was, um, but yeah. that was probably the only 
big that, storm that we had. That, that, yeah, we were, yeah, we've had waves hit, you know, coming to spray into the yard and stuff, but nothing. Yeah. That's the only one that actually, you know, it's only a rogue wave because it was the only one that actually came. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you know, there, historically, supposedly there was a wave. Uh, I'm not sure. I can't remember exactly when it was, but I know it was during the period the Strout family was there for a very long time. The father and son mm-hmm. were there for almost 60 years between the two of them, like 1870s to late 1920s. And uh, there was a rogue wave, uh, I think it was in the early 1900s, supposedly, that actually, they said the, the wave actually went over the top of the lighthouse. That's hard to believe, but did tremendous damage to the buildings at the time. Wow. Uh, that, that they may have been stretching a little bit. Well, I, that's at very that hard. Point, was the was it the current tower that's one hundred and one feet yes. tall? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I know it went up and down in height yeah. a couple of times yeah. in its history, but this it was at its same wow. height. Wow. Um, well, actually, if could the spray, if they saw the, the spray from the wave, would it might have been spray at least. I don't know if the, the actual. Wind, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, you know. Yeah. But the build there was very serious damage, I think, to the keeper's house and other buildings in that when that wave hit. Yeah. Um, but I, again, I can't off the top of my head remember when. But I, uh, what you're describing, I know, has there's some precedent uh, in its history. So every once in a while, something like that happens. We always joke because I always say it was a 90 foot wave. And they're always, always, my nephews and nieces always laugh at me. So every time they see me and we talk about, oh, here comes a 90 foot wave. <laughs> here comes a 90 foot wave. Yeah. Well, maybe it was. Yeah. So uh, let's let's move on and, and talk about where you went after uh, Portland Head, uh, the Anasquam Light Station, mm-hmm. which is Anasqu- the Anasquam Village is part of Gloucester, Massachusetts, or Gloucester, as Gloucester. Pro- properly Gloucester. pronounced. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm from, I'm from not far from there, so I know it's pronounced Gloucester. And your father was there uh, 65 to 67. Yes. Uh, I'm not sure. I don't have the months off the top of my head. September 65 to um, November 67. Mm -hmm. Okay. So a bit more than two years. It had to be quite a a big change from Portland Head, partly because it had to be a lot quieter. I mean, you were in a neighborhood in Anasquam, but it wasn't the tourist attraction that Portland Head was. Right. Right. So what, how did you feel about it when you moved into Anasquam? What was that like? Well, the lighthouse was totally different because it was in a private area, uh, like uh, a gated community. Yes. Without the gates. Right. So you had a few tourists. For me, it was totally different because I, I was closer with kids my age that lived close that I could, where, mm-hmm. where I had, that I could actually be with somebody my own age and play sports and do things and um, dump my sister and all. <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, it was different for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it was better for me as far as my life, but um, it was still. It was night and day because yeah. this was just as we lived in a house. We didn't have that responsibility of watching for the the bigger boats. We didn't have the responsibility of the tourist. We walked out the steps so the door down the steps to the beach it was all beach mm-hmm. yep. so it was and as as Eddie said we were we had friends it was very very different um yeah yeah not as much pressure from my dad um because he didn't have to be up you know somebody didn't have to be on watch 24 hours right yeah I mean still an important light but not probably not considered as sort of critical as Portland right. had right. being a guide into a major harbor and everything and mm-hmm. Uh, definitely a quieter, quieter place. Uh, I have a lot of experience with Anasquam Light. I've walked on that little little oh, beach, okay. little oh, beach yeah. you're talking about. It's such a pretty, pretty place. We hated, we hated it when we left. Yeah, both of us, we I hated know. it. I, you, I, I lived there all my life if I could. Yeah. Oh, you hated leaving. We leaving. hated leaving. Okay, oh, yeah. I wasn't quite sure leaving. what you were saying. Oh yeah, 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 we loved it. it yeah, was, I yeah. even tried to contact the Coast Guard to mm-hmm. see if, because um, I knew they had automated it, if they were selling the house, if could. Um, yeah, they they had Coast Guard people living there. Yeah, they did, but they don't now. It's my understanding, and I don't know what's happening with that house. I haven't heard anything in a while, and I don't think it's being used currently. So we'll see what happens with that. Maybe you can get it. Maybe I don't yeah. think I could afford it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know if it'll be sold. It'll probably be offered some sort of a license or lease arrangement oh. or something. So we'll keep an eye on it. I'll certainly let you know if I hear anything. <laughs> But it is a it is a gorgeous place, and you, uh, Ed, you, your description is uh, Anasquam is a gated community without a gate is a good description because it's a it's a beautiful lighthouse to photograph, but parking in that little neighborhood is difficult. For a while, the Coast Guard provided a couple of spaces right out, you know, in the yard basically, but yeah. they closed that, and you can no longer park there. So, 
finding a place to park to photograph the lighthouse is quite difficult. So I always tell people uh, photographing it from a boat if you can get a cruise in the area is probably the, the easiest way to do it. Uh, but it is it's gorgeous. The late historian, uh, Cape Ann historian, Joe Garland, I don't know if you know, know who he was. He wrote a lot of books about Cape Ann. But he, he called it in one of his books, A Candle in the Wind, which I thought was a good description. Yeah, uh, yeah. A pretty little candle in the wind. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Very, very, very different. It was very, yeah, it was it was a beautiful place. No, just, but it was really nice. And you didn't have to worry because it was sheltered. If you had a storm, you mm-hmm. had like waves or, and you had to worry about that. And yeah. nobody had to be up 24 hours a day. My yeah. father could work a regular day if he wanted to and sleep normal hours mm-hmm. at night rather than 12 and 12 alternating around. Right. So it took a lot of stress off of him. And uh, yeah, We could play baseball in the yard yeah. anytime we yeah, wanted yeah. to. <laughs> my, father, my father was a perfectionist as mm-hmm. far as everything. So when he was at Portland Head, he wanted it to be immaculate. Mm-hmm. So he worked so hard. Mm-hmm. You never told the story about painting the tower when you want to get to that. Yeah, he did. Well, I'd love to hear that. Yeah, he yeah. did paint Let's, the tower. Yeah, Tell so, me about that. So in Portland Head, what they did is they, they, they were going to hire a private contractor to paint the tower. Mm-hmm. Because my father, being the perfectionist, and it's his station. Mm-hmm. I'll mm-hmm. do it. <laughs> yeah. They hooked up a basket where you could actually stand one or two people in it. Right. And they hooked it up around the top of the light. And what they did is the other, the other person stationed there, sometimes I would help out, would just... He would just paint, and they, they would lower it down four or five feet, and he would mm-hmm. paint it all the way down to the bottom, yeah. and swing it over another five or six feet, and pull it back up, and then go down, and just swing it over, and go down, and just paint the whole lighthouse all the mm-hmm. way down. So people at the top, at the holding the um, ropes, and the people at the bottom. Yeah. And I do remember my mother not going outside for two weeks. She was worried that it was very snap or whatever, because it, it was an open cage. Yeah. It was just a platform, yeah. really. Yeah. And he, uh, with a paintbrush. Yeah. Are there any yeah. pictures of that? No. Oh, that's we don't. Faces. No, I don't. But no, I, know, I don't think we do. I know even as a, a teenager, I was like at the top sometimes holding and helping mm-hmm. the, the other person when he was, you know, when we just, when we had to pull it back up with no one in it, I would just help pull it back up. Yeah. But, you know, it was all secured when he was coming down. But that's what my mother would worry is when they would have to loosen it up mm-hmm. while he was in it to lower it down. Yeah. And my father, you know, he was not going to put the other person in the basket. Yeah. Yes. It was going to be him. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, because was, if something was happened, it was going was. to be him. He yeah. would not t- endanger any of his men. Okay. Yeah. You know, yeah. it, it was not going to happen. Even so. when he was stationed on Coast Guard stations on the Cape, and I remember there was a hurricane coming, and it's when they used to have to strap themselves into the boats, go out, take them out, and strap themselves in so the boats wouldn't get smashed. He was going to be the one to do it. Yeah. Fortunately, mm-hmm. the storm didn't come, but he said, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, so. yeah. And speaking of painting at these places, did, did you guys get to do any of that stuff, or was that not? not I was the ladder holder. <laughs> okay, yeah. I was, so when I would come home sometimes from school in the nice weather, and of course the other, the other um, coastie who was stationed there was sleeping, mm-hmm. so whatever. So my father would be 30, 40 foot ladder trying to do, say, a second floor painting on the house, and oh, I'm glad you're home, mm-hmm. and I got to go up, and I would hold the ladder. Mm-hmm. And sometimes three, four hours or whatever it was, and, you know, and that's just like I said. I, sometimes I felt like I was in the Coast Guard from the age of thirteen on. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, we did whitewash the fence, though. I do remember yeah. doing that. Yeah, she did okay. whitewash the fence. You didn't trick somebody else into doing it, like Tom Sawyer. No, yeah. no, no, no. I thought that was pretty cool that he asked me to do it. And then they, he, because he was afraid, and they still have wire there now, but there mm-hmm. was no. It was just the three poles across, slats across. And he was so afraid that one of us would try to crawl through it, or the tourists, more importantly, the tourist children would try. He put chicken wire around mm-hmm. all of it. Just, yeah. And I noticed today that it's, it's yeah. still like that. Yeah. 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 And it was, that he was addressed for that when he put the chicken wire because the Coast Guard said this is like an historical, you know, you should have asked permission or you should have this before you put the chicken wire there. And I'll give my father credit for being just, you know, more man on the totem pole, he said. So what are you going to do when you get the call that a tourist three-year-old went through the fence and fell off the cliff? And Okay. <laughs> yeah. And they just backed down and said, yeah, he, they understood the reason why he did it. Yeah. So um, they said, next time, just ask us. Says, yeah. So, but yeah, it's yeah safety. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
there's a lot of fencing there now, but there is an area where uh, people can walk through a gate and go out on the rocks, which was just uh, created a couple of years ago, which kind of surprised me. I don't know if you're aware of that. Is that another Fort Williams side? No, it's near the lighthouse. It's as you're facing the lighthouse off to the the right. Um, and people can go pretty far out on the rocks there. It's and probably right after. I think it's after the whistle, the old paint locker. That's that first building when you go into the driveway on the right hand. Yeah, it's well past that. But that used to be the paint locker, so mm-hmm. I think it's. Oh, the, so you can do that. Yeah. Yeah. We used to play by the cliff. There were mm-hmm. when you went out to the fort. There was the parking lot had no fence. You could mm-hmm. just drive right off the cliff. <laughs> <laughs> it is yeah very yeah. different times. Yeah, were there any accidents there by any from anybody no, getting in no, trouble when you were no. there? No, but we were there. Mm-mm. Yeah, or or a boat, anything with boats, or anything like that. There, yeah. or at either at either place. Or Usually, what happened with the boats yeah. is um, if they would break down, um, if they contacted this, my father would just call um, Base South Portland mm-hmm. or, or uh, Coast Guard Base Gloucester. Yeah, and they would send a boat out to tow it. Or, yeah. Or a lot of times, as, as you know, being down there, there's a lot of other lobster boats in, in the mm. area. Oh, yeah. they, would, they would just assist each other. Sure. There was yeah. nothing that ever happened. No, there was nothing major. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Don't remember your father being involved in rescues or no, anything? No, no. Rescues no. There at all. Yeah, yeah. As you said, there's there's so much going on in both of those places, lots of boat traffic. And, in um, Anasquam once, there was a squall that came up, and so mm-hmm. there were pleasure boats out there, and they all went over. But we didn't have boats or anything from, so we had to call Gloucester Station and have them. Yeah. But I remember people yelling. Nobody yeah. died or drowned or yeah. anything. They were helping each other. Yeah. But it was, it, I do remember it was very frustrating. Yeah, for, it was a small sailboat race. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they, okay. And, and the squall came through and all the boats, all the sailboats kind of flipped over. Yeah. But most of the people in it, I think because they were involved in an organized event, they all had life jackets on. So, mm-hmm. you know, but we, they, my father was worried that somebody was trapped underneath yeah. the boat. So right away he made the call. Yeah. And he, he was actually looking around. What can we, what can we do? What can we float? So he was not assigned to given a boat at Anasquam. No. Not even a boat. Yeah. That's amazing to me. Yeah. Yeah. No boat. Yeah. I mean, obviously, it's easy to access by land, by car. Yeah. But still, it seems like there should yeah, have been a boat there. Happened, there yeah. No. yeah. No, there was no, no small boat or anything. Yeah. Wow. Hmm. Interesting. So let me let me ask you about something that's a little bit off the track here, but it's something uh, that came up when we were talking before we started the the interview here. The Flying Santa. <laughs> the uh, the Flying for uh, regular listeners to the podcast may have heard I've done three or four shows relating to the Flying Santa before. Flying Santa is a tradition that started in 1929 in Maine. Bill Winkapaw, pilot, started it. He would fly over the lighthouses in a seaplane and drop presents for lighthouse keepers and their families to show appreciation for what they were doing and to help them have a, a nice Christmas. Uh, Edward Rowe Snow, very popular maritime historian, picked it up in the 30s. He Well, the two of them kind of did it together for a while, but Edward Rowe Snow was involved from the mid-1930s and right up until like 1980, uh, shortly before he, he passed away. Uh, so uh, you apparently had some uh, some exposure to the Flying Santa, and that would have been Edward Rowe Snow. I did. Was it at, at both of the lighthouses, or, or where, where did that happen? The second lighthouse in Anasquam, mm-hmm. um, one, I don't think it was a Christmas, but I remember him being there, showing up at the at the light. He might have brought stuff, because um, I remember him sitting outside with my father and, on the rocks in Anasquam and just having a chat. Okay. Um, and I remember, you know, um, I knew who he was because of me, because you want to tell me. Well, I do, and it's a little fuzzy. I do have some books that he autographed. I mm-hmm. remember him bringing candy. Um I don't think he dropped anything, though. I think he drove the first, one, the the first time he dropped. The first that's year we were there, fuzzy. he dropped. Oh, okay. okay. That's what but we fuzzy. didn't even know what the flying sign cost was. So all of a sudden, this <laughs> stuff is landing like somebody's at bombing. the White House. And it's like, we're being bombed here. And uh, it was, come find out, it was, you know, Edward Rowe, a great guy, terrific man. And um, so then the next year, I guess, weather-wise, he couldn't, so he came. Mm-hmm. He came by land and brought everything by land. Yeah, he and, stayed uh, for a bit and talked. I yeah, and talked for a while. And you know, I think he, he ate a dinner with us too. I think he, I had, he had a meal or something. I think with us, we had lunch or something. Was his wife with him? Do you remember? She... I don't think no, so. No, no, he was alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
I don't think he had anyone. No, there wasn't yeah. anybody. But he I don't would. think so. But he stayed, and he was wonderful, and autographed mm-hmm. books, and brought books. I used to wait every year for his books. Yeah, so yeah. I have like two or three um, books at home. Yeah, yeah. some of them autographed. I've read them all. They're like, yeah, I love them. And uh, so yeah, so that's our experiences with the Point Santa. Yeah, we just yeah. thought that was very cool. <laughs> yeah, it was. He uh, he uh, made people a lot of people's lives more more fun at a lot of those places. Mm-hmm. Well, we yeah. we didn't have it so badly because we were attached right. to you land. But yeah, if you were out, yeah, you weren't as isolated as a lot of some of them. The, right. <laughs> off the island stations, and rocks, and small islands, and so forth. But but still, it must have made it fun. Yeah, yeah. it was yeah. fun. Absolutely. It was fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, after, well, before we move on and just anything else that, that we haven't touched on really related to either of the light stations, Portland Head or Anasquam, uh, that, uh, I don't want you to miss telling if there's a story where we haven't told well, I yet. Think a, I think about Portland Head is me being, getting to the age after being there like a year or two years, my father, even though. He, he told me, he said, you know, I depend on you too. If I'm busy and the fog comes in, go stop the foghorn. Okay. Go, go do. And I remember one time he was working on the north side and um, the fog came in right up to the the Annecy McGuire painting there, the rocks. Mm-hmm. So I, I put the foghorn on and he comes running around the corner and he goes, where did you put the fog? And he, in this piece of fog. And he goes, wow. <laughs> I never would have known. Yeah. So it's like, wow, thank you for Yeah. Helping out there, and that's the, that's the kind of thing you kind of like, you know, get involved in being almost like part of the station. Mm-hmm. And the other one story that we never told is what people don't realize sometimes the stress. There, um, the foghorn blow blew four seconds every twenty, and it was sixteen seconds where it didn't blow. Mm-hmm. There was a, in the electronics, there was a little wheel that had a little cutout that yep. was four seconds, and it would turn for twenty. I mean, for sixteen, and then it would fall in that groove for four, and then come out. Mm-hmm. And that would the horn would blow. Well, it broke one day, mm-hmm. and they said, "Well, we can't get apart for hours and hours and hours." And he stood out there with a stopwatch with the cord to the foghorn, and every sixteen seconds he'd pull it for four, and he would let it go. He did that for hours, and inside that whistle house, it gets to be like hundred and thirty degrees. And he was in there and just did that for hours, and I was, mm-hmm. you know, amazed that it was just like. The dedication, yeah. yeah. The dedication. Wow. And um, so, and he did it himself. I mean, yeah. You know, it was, I don't even think it was his watch. And he says, "No, you just make sure you do, it and I'll take care of this." Yeah. And he stayed in there. And, yeah, yeah. Well, there's a great tradition of that. There are a number of cases I've read about where going back to fog bells in a lot of cases where the machinery malfunctioned and the keepers would use a hammer and hit the yeah. bell every so yeah. many seconds. Yeah. But it's amazing. And he did that for hours in the fog, piece of yeah. fog. He just stayed there till the park came in. Yeah. And it's like, wow. Yeah. And, uh, and it was a long time. I mm-hmm. think it was eight or nine hours. Wow. And that feeling, I think that feeling of responsibility was permeated through all of us. Mm-hmm. We just knew that that, that was how important that was. Yeah. You had a good feeling for about why you were there. Why was, we were there. Yeah. 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 They also filmed um, a Route 66 TV show in the area back really? in the day. So that was kind of the, you know, the exciting thing. Yeah. yeah. The, the, the little, they used to say, have signs this would say contaminated beach. Mm-hmm. Right before you come up that big hill. As you come in now, you'll see the beach on there's picnic tables there, I think. And, and that was where they filmed it. Huh. And the, for the first time, because we never saw anything like that with Hollywood and cameras yeah, and, and watching how wow. long it took, you know, that it would take, you know, you're watching on TV and, you know, then you watch how long it takes to do one little part of it, you know, an hour or two yeah. for one line. Right. And, uh, but yeah, so that was like, wow, that was different. And a yeah. beer commercial in Anasquam. Yeah. They, they did a beer oh, really? commercial yeah. in the yard, which, yeah. What kind of beer do you remember? Falstaff beer. Wow. Yeah. I wanted my father to be in the commercial. Mm-hmm. And um, to be the, the, the representative, but Coast Guard regulations. Mm-hmm. So he, he couldn't. Do That's it. too bad. Yeah, that would have been. Yeah, yeah. But that was the fun stuff. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, it was. Yeah, it was a totally different situation in both lighthouses. Yeah, so I can yeah, laid back more in Anasquam. Yeah, like a normal life for the keeper. You know, you work eight hours a day, and then you can, you know, you take Sundays off. Mm-hmm. You know, not by a pulling head twenty four seven. Yeah, it's going. Yeah, and, I uh, can understand. I can say, I know knowing those two places, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, it's very different. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. 
but they're both special places in their own way. Yes, oh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, as we said you, earlier, your father, after this this lighthouse experience, uh, served in a couple more light ships as the uh, executive officer, as you were saying. Yes, he was on um, the. Uh, I know he's on the relief mm-hmm. because when I was, I went, oh, I did a hitch in the Coast Guard myself. Mm-hmm. So when I was in boot camp in Cape May, New Jersey, all of a sudden I wanted to get the meal, and he's standing there. His relief light ship relieved the light ship that was down that area, and they were done. And they said, we're going to go in overnight into Cape May. Mm-hmm. And they pulled into Cape May, and there he was. You didn't know this was going to happen? No, 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 no. And uh, so he came in, so he was on a relief then. So the, I know in the late 60s he was on, mm-hmm. on the relief light ship. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, he was stationed in... Chatham at the Coast Guard mm-hmm. Station at the Race Point. Yep. Recruiter, um, oh, right. recruiter. Recruiter, maybe Province. late 60s, early 70s. Yeah. No, I would, the Vietnam War was still going on. Yeah. Yeah. He was a recruiter for. But you know, when you're in the, in the Coast Guard, every two years you're doing something different. Right. Two yeah. or three years. He served on, on, on a couple of the big white ships up, um, in the Bedford in the early 60s before mm-hmm. he Coast Guard Cutters. Coast Guard Cutters yep. there. And, um, yeah, the light ships, yeah, his final station was Race Point, uh, Provincetown. Mm-hmm. He was the officer in charge of the light boat station there. Yeah. That was his last one. Yeah. Um, before he retired in 78. Yeah. So did you live in those communities no. on no, Cape Cod? No, we only lived with him at the lighthouse. The lighthouse. Okay. Other than yeah. that, it was... Yeah, the other yeah, stations were small boat lifeboat stations with crews of nine to ten coast. Yeah, I thought maybe you lived nearby, but you uh, lived in was it were you living in New Bedford at that yeah, time? So. Yeah. Right. Well, and fortunately, he was always in New England. Yeah. But close enough. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But yeah. he would just be gone maybe three weeks at a time, mm-hmm. come in, or except to, when he was recruiting. Yeah. It seems like some coasties go all over well, the country. Well, his rank, country. a boat to me, is, mm-hmm. is pretty popular everywhere. Yeah. And the first Coast Guard district was the biggest mm-hmm. when nobody wanted to come. Yeah. So somebody wanted to stay mm-hmm. in that rank. It was pretty easy to kind of stay wherever you wanted to stay. You know? Yeah. So uh, let's see. He retired in 78. Yes. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, uh, I know he, uh, your father passed away in uh 2000, year 2000, 2000. yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Anything you'd like to add about it? What about his retirement year? So he had a pretty pretty good retirement there. Well, he was forced years. to retire. He was for, forced for uh, medical reasons. He ah. had heart issues, ah. so he it took him a long time because he go 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 kind of guy. Right. Yeah. He wasn't old in '78. He was would have been uh, what only 50, 50 or so. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So he was not old, and it mm-hmm. took him. Why he went back to college? He had a seventh grade education. Mm-hmm. He got his GED in the service, mm-hmm. and so after retiring, he went um, got a degree from a community college and then a bachelor's degree from university. And which was interesting to watch him and my mother with her ninth grade education, mm-hmm. you know, working on that. So yeah. he did that for a while. I worked at the post office for mm-hmm. a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then, and then he, ju- and then my mother. Well, my mother passed. I passed away. away. He just after about a year. You know, um, he just said, "I'm going to Florida." Yes, you couldn't really, you know, um, handle being without yeah. her. So he sold yeah. me the house, mm-hmm. my wife and I and the kids, and he just said, "I'm gone." And, yeah, and he went to Florida. Um, Where in Florida? Pompano Beach. Pompano Beach. Okay. Yeah. yeah, but he worked at the post office, for, which he did because he was behind a desk, and he was an extrovert. He loved talking to people, as like the lighthouse and stuff. So, at the post office, people come up, and he loved doing that that stuff. Even when he went down into a, a mobile home park down in Florida, he was like the handyman, and they all mm-hmm. loved him because. And he, he would tell about his lighthouse oh, yeah, time. Well, yeah, he would tell stories when they asked. You know, it's um, it's just yeah. Yeah. He was just a different character. Yeah. So he, I was just going to say, it sounds like he was proud of for the work he did in the Coast Guard and including the, the lighthouse. Oh, absolutely. We, yeah. we kind of come from a Coast Guard family. Um, his brother uh, was retired Coast Guard. Um, his, he had two nephews, the Blanchett's and nephews, right? Or whatever. Yeah. Cousins. Cousins, whatever. So they were Coast Guard. I was Coast Guard. My brother, Armand's was Junior was Coast Guard. Mm-hmm. I had an uncle who was Coast Guard. I, his brother was a warrant officer, retired Coast Guard. So, 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 so when you get together, like that's when I found that I really got into a lot more conversations with my father, even 
after I got out of the Coast Guard, because you mm-hmm. could talk Coast Guard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and so it was, you know, that's when we really would just sit down and you'd visit and, and you know, we'd just sit on the porch and start mm-hmm. talking about stuff and we'd just go on for hours. And then you could talk about the White House and stuff and mm-hmm. my experiences and his experiences. And yeah, yeah. So, yeah, but. It's about the same language. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, you know. So, uh, jumping ahead to more recent history, uh, Janice, I believe you said you were at the decommissioning ceremony at Portland Headlight, uh, August seventh, nineteen eighty nine. I yes. was there, yes. my wife and I. Uh, That's when the uh, the last Coast Guard keepers were reassigned, were taken uh, away from the station. The light was automated. It was also the two hundredth anniversary of a federal lighthouse service that was being celebrated at that time. Uh, what was it like being there for that for you? Kind of sad, I think. You know, mm-hmm. watching watching the family, thinking about being there as a kid, knowing that you know that whole part of it would be different. You know, it was, it was, but kind of fun also to be there. It's a beautiful day, as I remember. And uh, my Coast brother Garden. Armin was with me and our families. And uh-huh. um, but there was a sadness to it too. Yes, to seeing that. So if you look. Um, if you look behind the paint locker when you first walk into the um, grounds, mm-hmm. if you go when you're not on the grass, which they say keep off the grass, right. but if you just quickly go on the grass, yeah. you'll see my dad's, um, it'll say Hood AE BM1 1964 and his handprints there, which we just saw this morning. Or really? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Actually, we put our on, handprints, but I think those are the road what it, on on what surface? There's like a wall right behind uh-huh. the building. Okay. Um, and you can see that his name is still there in 1964. Wow. Yeah. So that's kind of fun. I gotta look for that the next yeah. time I'm there. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's really cool. But it, um, but that was a nice day. It was. Um, yeah. You know, kind of. Exciting and wondering what they were going to do with that, right? Which now we know that they've done quite a bit. Yeah, they with the ended up, yeah, pretty much gutted the house and put in the yeah, museum. Yeah, put in the museum. We did go in once. Um, the curator yeah. let us go in, and but it was, you know, the parts that that aren't for the public now. But yeah, it must it was, feel strange. It, very strange. Yeah, because the side with the museum is where we live, uh-huh. so it's like. This is where we used to, <laughs> yeah. This, and it's all, it's all, yeah. you know, yeah. this is, you know, yeah. and, and, yeah. and even the garage was, I remember painting the floor, the, the deck they called it. And that's the floor, what the, the, the gift shop is now. It was the gift shop now. And it's like, right. You know, and of course there was nothing there. And it's like, I wasn't there for that. But when I even go back, like we did uh, today, I feel a little sad because I go, it's like, it's not what we had. Yeah. No, it's so busy It's almost you want to say it's no, I don't say a tourist attraction now, but that's basically what Well, it is, but hopefully people learn something and appreciate, get more of an appreciation of lighthouses when they go there. But so it's... I'm sure they do. And you can tell the people who go are really, you know, excited and take pictures and especially in today's modern cell phones and, but uh, yeah, it's like... Yeah. To be there when it's really quiet is different. Yeah, like in the winter when there's nobody there. Yeah, if there still are, I don't know. But just to be there and it's quiet and look out and, and listen to the sound. Listen to the sound. The buoys banging, yes. and whistling, yeah, and, the fog and the foghorns going. And because uh, I think my father he had what four lighthouses he had to look for when he was there. There were three others besides Portland. Three other lighthouses he was responsible for: Cape Elizabeth, Ram Island Ledge across, and Spring Point. Yep. And he had like. 12 or 13 buoys he always had to keep the lights and and he got to be such an I call an expert at he would go out and if he looked at a buoy out there he would say draw station tell just by so where it is a few feet off yeah, or something he would notice the mirrors out and make a report that you know it's off station okay. or, of course they had to check the flashing of the lights make sure they were correct and yeah. or if they were out a lot of times the light would go out from the battery going dead he'd have to report the notice the mariners for that yeah. And yeah. It's just it's just amazing how he gets so and then, of course, we weren't, I weren't that, too, the same type of thing. I kind of picked up, I knew the lights, and a lot of times he'd be there, and he'd go, okay, Dad, let me, you know, he'd be typing something there, and I'd be looking, okay, this one's okay, this light's flashing this, this mm-hmm. and that, and everything, because he had to do it, every, they had to do it every hour, weather and everything, so. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's just, it's, it's being part of the team, I call it. Yeah, yeah. You, know, you become part of the team. Question popped into my head a few minutes ago that I wasn't planning on asking, but it occurred to me. I got to I got to ask this and you can totally ignore it. Just say no. You have nothing to say about it. But <laughs> was the place haunted? Was Portland Head the, was the house haunted? I, no, I don't think so. Although we would jokingly 
Well, yeah, there, was, there was that one incident. But we would jokingly oh. say, because um, George Washington was, you know, commissioned it way back. It's something, it's an old house, so you heard a lot of bangs. You know. yeah. We would say, oh, that's George. That's <laughs> we'd George. always say, it's it's George. when family would visit and they'd hear a big bang upstairs and they'd go, what was it? It's George. <laughs> and then one time my grandmother was there, and I'll never forget it, and it sounds kind of spooky, but they were making fun of this, and she was sitting in the living room with a, a cup of coffee, I think, on the arm of the chair. And mm-hmm. the cup actually moved like a foot and slid down the arm when they did it. And they went, oh, don't worry, it's just George. Uh-huh. But that's it. Well, that's so, addressing. Yeah. That's about the only thing that we ever... It never felt haunted. No, never felt Yeah, no, yeah. No. Well, I'm not saying one way or the other. Yeah, I, I yeah. will say that I kind of have an open mind on these things. Oh, I, well, I just, we have open minds yeah. on that. Yeah, but, but I don't remember And feeling. I have heard from other people that they thought it was. But I was there with a, with actually a, a haunted lighthouse bus tour we did one time, oh. more than 10 years ago now. But... It was in the 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 uh, the room in the museum where there's a giant picture of Joseph Strout, the longtime keeper, on the wall. It's his, his face, and uh, this uh, woman, uh, psychic medium, uh, started. Uh, she was almost crying. She felt really emotional. She said, "There's a presence here, an old man, who's having to leave the place. He loves it so much, and he keep, she keeps kept hearing the phrase, I gave my life to the light. I gave my life to the light.'" And she said, and I'm feeling chest pain because I think he had had heart trouble late in his career. The woman working in the museum said, I'm calling 911. And we had to say, no, she's okay. This is this is what she does. But um, it appeared that she was talking about Joseph Strout. Wow. He was right there. Yeah. So yeah. does it prove anything? No, but it's, it's interesting. No, no. Well, it would be a place to be conscious. But I yeah. never felt as a kid. No, never no, we felt never, like I never, those. except for that one incident. But we just always joke about it, though. But who knows what the noises were? Yeah. I mean, it wasn't like you heard chains or anything. Right. Oh, I saw like, something. You think, you know, the whole, you know, the heat, and then it settles in the wintertime, you know, it's old. Yeah. 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 Old houses do make sounds, but mm-hmm. um, it's interesting. Uh, at Boston Light, the, I don't know if you know, the first keeper of Boston Light in 1718 drowned with the five other people, his wife and child and some others. Uh, and uh, there's a lot of ghost stories there, and people always blame it on George, but that, in that case, they're talking about George Worthy, like yeah. the first keeper. They say, oh, that's just old George. Yeah. <laughs> so, seems to be a common name for ghosts, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I just had to ask about that. So uh, I'm going to wind things down here, but I want to ask you um, uh, two final questions for bonus points, okay? First of all, you kind of partially answered this already, Janice, but I'm wondering if either of you has any more thoughts about what's gone on. Uh, it's basically the process is over in this country. The automation of lighthouses is mostly finished by 1990. Uh, automation of lighthouses, removing of uh, resident keepers at these places. Any any other feelings about that? Uh, what do you think of automation in general? Well, it's like anything else. Times change. I am glad to see that they are allowing people to buy some of the lighthouses or to keep the keepers at the lighthouses. So it's not like they're just automating and knocking them down. I mean, it's great that there are people who are keeping that tradition alive and it's still many, many people have interest in lighthouses. And, yeah. And it's life that changes. You know? And I feel the same way, exactly the same way. Yeah, well, that's a good way to put it. Things things change. Things change. Uh, but I often say, you know, as we move forward in technology and so forth, we lose things along the way often. And obviously it's a, it's a big loss having resident keepers and families at these places. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was easier to keep them up, I think, in those days when people were looking after them on a daily oh, basis. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, actually, yeah. Yes. If you could do it as things failed or things happened, you fixed it. Exactly. You didn't wait till it was falling apart. Which is the case at a lot of them now. Yeah, it's out of utter necessity. Yeah. There's small nonprofits taking care of a lot of them and so yes. forth, so it's, it's difficult. But So I have one final question, Okay, for and this is for extra bonus points. Okay. <laughs> Uh, and this is for both of you. Either one of you can take it first. But what was your favorite thing or things about the time you spent living at lighthouses as kids? What I used to enjoy was when family would come up because they they never were in an experience like that. And a lot of them were in awe and the family would have a good time and, the, and my cousins would come up and we'd be outside and we'd talk about this and they'd get to go up in the lighthouse and... So there was an experience, and I used to get like joy watching them and, and, and enjoying that part of it there. That was a lot of fun. And Antoine was the same way. They would come, you know, family would come, mm-hmm. and uh, we'd have a good time. And it was like, yeah, it was just like, and they would plan their vacations to come to the White House. Mm-hmm. So you'd say, wow. And it wasn't to see us. 
it was like a free vacation <laughs> at, a, at a place like that. You know, it's yeah, like yeah. so. Um, so yeah, that, I used to really enjoy that. Um, for me, sunrises. Mm. Even when I was a little kid, I would wake up early, go down, watch the sunrise, mm -hmm. and then and there was always somebody up because it was a 24-hour watch, and then maybe sometimes go back to bed, but the sunrises were just gorgeous uh, in Portland. Yeah. Sunset on the Anasquam River, so that, uh -huh. um, but this, and those were nice, but the sunrises in Portland were mm -hmm. incredible. Yeah, yeah. I can completely understand that. I can I concur with, with everything you say, not that I've experienced them the same way as you, but uh, they're incredible places. And uh, you probably consider yourselves lucky to have those experiences. Uh, oh. Yes, I yes. mean it's 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 almost hard to believe sometimes, you know, when we see because you see Portland headlight everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's, it's, it's one of the lighthouses that's used. One of the lighthouses, and so yeah. and I think about it like, wow, I lived there, and it took me until I was sixty years old to realize when I went on vacation, and then people would say, "We're going to be at the beach. We'll be at the water," and it just I was like, yeah. <laughs> and it took me a while to realize when I saw a picture of Portland headlight and mm -hmm. I thought, well, of course, <laughs> because we were on the water. And so everything else is it's okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think part of that too is like we're talk talking about things being modern now. A lot of people won't get to experience this anymore. The kids won't get to experience this because it's all automated and it's, it's like a lost tradition. Yes. That, that's gone and it's sad. Even the foghorns I just found out today are now, some of the foghorns are a whole different. They're mariner activated yeah, now. And mariner does it so you almost never hear them anymore. Yeah, yeah. so that, that was kind of like, wow. That, yeah, because we were falling head for two hours in the yeah. it's fog. <clears throat> one never went off. Yeah. yeah I don't know if I should say this, but I know one of their volunteers, I don't know if he's still working in the shop, not the shop, but the museum, at the desk in the museum some of the time, but he had a handheld VHF radio and says for the tourists, he was sometimes activating okay. the, the okay. horn. Yeah, yeah. So it'd be going on a sunny day, uh, which is kind of nice for the people to get to experience it, to hear it. I don't know if he's still doing that. Confusing. I hope I'm not getting him in trouble. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's on the podcast, but I'm not getting in trouble. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, uh, yeah, uh, so things things do change, and uh, it's mostly for the good, I hope, but we do lose things along the way. Yeah, sure. we do. Yeah. But, uh, Janice Reynolds and Ed Hood, I want to thank you so much. This is a lot of fun. I feel like we could keep talking here, but I should probably <laughs> wind it down. Maybe we can do it again sometime. Uh, it's really a lot of fun talking to you. Thank you oh, so thanks. much. Thank you very thank much you. for We've having us. We've enjoyed it. Thank yes, you. Yes, we really did. Thank you. I really enjoy talking with the children of lighthouse keepers to get their perspective on living at these places as kids. With the automation of lighthouses, all this information is passing into history, and I think it's important that we record it in one way or another. Absolutely. They're the last generation to, to be able to tell us these stories. That's absolutely right. It's uh, fading into history at this point, so very, very important. Next week, we're going to have a very special episode of Lighthearted, a 200th episode anniversary special. It's been just about three and a half years since this podcast was launched. Technically, we've done more than 200 episodes with some unnumbered special editions, but next week will officially be episode 200. Well, that's of the numbered episodes. You've been part of just about half the episodes, Cindy. <laughs> wow, I just can't believe it's been almost three and a half years. That's I know. crazy. Well, thanks so much for including me in, in the podcast. I'm so happy to be part of it. And congratulations to you, Jeremy. Well, thank you. And congratulations to you, too. You are a big part of it. Well, thanks, as always, to all the volunteers, members, and staff of the U.S. Lighthouse Society in Hansville, Washington, and around the world. Go to uslhs.org to learn more about tours, preservation grants, the research catalog, and everything else the Society offers. Remember that donations help to support this podcast. If you listen with Apple Podcasts, please rate and review us. And anything you can do to spread the word about this podcast is greatly appreciated. So, Cindy, do you have a quote for today? As a matter of fact, I do. The Indian cricket star Sachin Tendulkar once said, quote, Success is a process. During that journey, sometimes there are stones thrown at you, and you convert them into milestones, unquote. As always, to our regular listeners and to our new ones, thank you so much for listening and keep a good light. In the dark, I'm
Let it shine, let it shine 